is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culchin Ford. Bird Culchin Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. And welcome in, everybody, to a brand new edition of the BearCast on Sikkim365.com. Also on the Baylor Athletics on Sikkim365 YouTube page, which you haven't already. Please hit like and subscribe, and we would very much appreciate that. But however you do listen to us live on Tuesdays at around 11.15 or after the fact via your various podcast streams, we do appreciate you, Craig Smoke. Joined, as always, by Grayson Grunhafer and fresh off of a bye week for Baylor football. We're going to dive into what's next, what's happened, and also get into a little bit of hoops as well. But, Grayson, how was the uh, open week for you? It was nice. I mean, a good time to kind of refresh, especially because the season, you know, it's been a bit of a grind up to this point. And as I know, you've mentioned a couple of times, just, you know, boring for stretches and, you know, hoping that there's a little bit better football product on the field going forward. But it was nice to reflect. I went back and actually watched all of Baylor's games uh, leading up. Um you know, in the first first few weeks, uh, that wasn't a great task, but I did anyways. Got to see some of the things that stood out to me, um, and also just watch college football. And not really have to deal with kind of sitting there and really waiting on Baylor all day to kind of figure out what what was going to happen there, which was nice too because it was a good weekend. Well, that sounds like a uh, what a masochist would do to enjoy some <laughs> off time would be rewatch these games that we've seen, uh, and not to like start off just you know poo pooing all over the team or anything. But yeah, I can't think of anything I'd rather not do than go rewatch some of these games that we've uh, seen so far. But it was an open week. Garrett Ross also behind the scenes as well, pushing all the right buttons and uh, making everything operate and get that to you however you are watching us we do appreciate him as well but yeah i mean i'm trying to wash out the uh, the eyes and the mouth from what we saw the first six weeks but they did get a break and hopefully that break was beneficial um i mean they don't get another one this is it they start back up this week at cincinnati first meeting ever between these two programs and um i mean the rest of this schedule you look at it and uh, it's a roller coaster ride, uh, depending on what week you look at. I mean, even Houston and, uh, you know, coming off of a Hail Mary win here in a couple of weeks, and then you've got Iowa State suddenly looks like a much more formidable game. Uh, K State, TCU, both those teams playing well. West Virginia's been good, even though they just lost on a Hail Mary to Houston. So this second half stretch, man, it was, uh, it was potentially one that it looked easier when you first looked at it on paper, and now it's looking like it. Might not have uh, anything guaranteed whatsoever on the second half of the schedule, but uh, if there is a game or two that you feel like they could win, you'd think it'd be this one, uh, or maybe the Houston game, perhaps just that built-in advantage of the older Big 12 teams versus the newer Big 12 teams. But uh, this is going to be very interesting coming up uh, on Saturday, Bears versus Bearcats. So let's uh, start off with the bye week and just, I guess... We didn't learn much. There wasn't a lot of media sessions or anything like that. Obviously, the Macroads interview that he did with us caused quite a stir across the country because people just take little bits and run with it or hear what they want to hear in some cases. Uh, the big part of that interview that spread like wildfire uh, was the fact that he said that he talked to Dave Aranda and that uh, they had discussions about just all that's going on and some of the things that came out of that was 
the feeling that they need to shake things up offensively and do things a little bit differently. And if some took that as though Mac Rhodes was suddenly saying, well, we need to run this type of offense or I'm calling plays or just these silly notions, um, I guess because reality is not bad enough. So let's make it sound even as worse as possible. But he's not doing that. He's simply keeping tabs on the multi-million dollar investment that they have in the lifeblood of the athletics programs and making sure that you know things are as good as they can be. That's how I took it, Grayson. How did you take all of that? Um, I know there was reactions that were just all, sort of all over the place, but I think based on the quote we got from Dave Aranda yesterday, uh, who I'm sure is not you know thrilled that that's a talking point, um, and just having listened to the actual interview and been a part of it, I just took that as an athletic director keeping close tabs on what's going on and making sure that they're operating to full capacity and making sure, like, hey, like some things need to, like, especially in certain areas, get better. But but how did you take that from the, this past week? Right. I, I felt like people did take it a little bit too far. I think this is what athletic directors should do, especially during a season where they have not reached expectations at all. And so I think this is just Mac Rhodes trying to make sure that he continues to have an idea of what the pulse of the program is like and kind of the direction that maybe they need to go, uh, you know, moving forward. And Dave Randa mentioned yesterday, you know, he has unfiltered truth when talking with Mac Rhodes was kind of the quote. And he gets his perspective. Um, you know, he gets that other perspective from Mac because I think every day the daily grind of just sitting there and, you know, looking at football, being all about football every single day, it's nice to have sort of an outsider perspective. Not that Mac is a true outsider, but a guy who, um, you know, is just going to kind of tell him like he sees it. And so I think that's kind of their relationship. And I don't think people should view that as, oh, Mac Rhodes is now, you know, going to be the the head coach of this team, or he's going to make sure that Dave Randa does this, this, and that with his staff. I think, again, it's more so just keeping a pulse of the program. Yeah, I also don't think he was laying blame right at the feet of Jeff Grimes totally and saying, like, no. Jeff Grimes is the problem. I think uh, if you watch the games, the offense – has problems, yeah. uh, and I don't think that the questioning led to, well, where's the defensive talk? Well, it's not really how the conversation was going. Again, if you listened to it, um, that wasn't like the flow of the of the whole deal. So it wasn't like, hey, Mac, what do you think's wrong? The offense stinks, and I'm going to – I mean, and but that's how it was portrayed, and I just don't think that that's fair. And like I said, things are, are weird or bad enough at any given time. You don't really need to throw extra mustard on anything. And so I thought that that was all blown away out of proportion personally. But, you know, everybody's going to have their own take on it. Yeah, and I, and I think the thing that people are kind of missing with that whole conversation with offense and defense is that I feel like the defensive side has been explained. Right. You know, they haven't had a nose tackle, and they're playing a lot of young guys. Like, they've explained the reasons that they are struggling on defense. Now, is it acceptable? No. But they've at least explained it. But I think going into the year, they felt like the offense was going to be really, really good. And currently, they're, what, 105th nationally in scoring? They're averaging, like, 21 points per game. So while both sides have blame, I do feel like we've had more answers about why the defense is playing bad. Again, not excusable, but answers. Whereas on the offensive side, I think they're still mystified at how bad they've been. And that's kind of, I think, where the big issue is with the Baylor fan base. Yeah, I agree with that. And yeah, you're right that um, the defense too. I mean, I think it just kind of goes without saying that falls at Aranda's feet yeah. being a defensive coach. And you also have a first-year coordinator. And again, not making excuses, but there's at least like, okay, well, that makes sense. And there are young guys. You know what? You can at least see the talent there. You can go like, hey, Caden Jenkins could be something one day, or this guy could be something. And on offense, there's still just a lot of like, 
where is this all going and when's it going to look better? And yeah, it's uh it's a little bit more puzzling. So that was obviously one of the big storylines from this uh, off week, but uh, that's really all there was to it. I don't think there's any lingering effects. I don't think that there's going to be, you know, anything that, that comes of that outside of just the conversation that already has. And hopefully uh, some of these changes they've acknowledged they've worked on during the open week, which is not going to include a massive overhaul of the offense. They're not going to run anything different. They can't possibly. It's impossible to do that in, in two weeks' time. Jeff Grimes isn't not calling plays anymore. Uh, Randa said that there wasn't any change like that yesterday. So, um, you know, it's it's going to be clear for everybody that watches on Saturday of, of how much progress they made during the bye week. And if they look about the same, then that's going to be, you know, uh, something that's going to be tough to swallow because you're hoping that they show with the time off some level of improvement, especially on, on that side of the football. Um, but we will see against Cincinnati on Saturday. Right. So I think the biggest thing that kind of my takeaway, because you mentioned the offensive side, and yes, they didn't make a change as far as play calling goes. They didn't make a change from Jeff Grimes, you know, anything like that. But what they did do is I think the play calling will be different even though it is still Jeff Grimes calling right. the plays, if that makes sense, because they brought up the fact that they're going to pass the ball to run the ball. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness, because I, I think all of us are pretty tired of them just running into a brick wall two straight times and having to throw on third and 10. Yeah. Like, that just is not working anymore. And so if that means throwing on early downs and getting behind the chains, that's fine because they're going to have to create explosive plays and hit on some of those and have faith in your receivers to go make those plays, which at times has been very up and down. We've seen flashes against Utah and UCF, and then we saw against Texas and against Texas Tech receivers just not being able to make plays. And so these guys have to make plays, but they also got to be given opportunities to make plays against, you know, when defenses aren't just sitting there knowing they're going to throw the football. So access throws, screens, those were some of the things that were mentioned to help allow them to move the chains without running the football right up the middle, you know, three straight times. Yeah, so if there's anything to look at differently offensively, just be the style in which they go about doing what they've always done. Just the play calling, like you said, uh, maybe a bit of a different order because there has been at times, very predictably, run first down, run second down. It's third and long, and yeah. let's throw the football. And it's like, wow, I wonder what's going to happen here. Let's and, get Blake Shape and killed. Yeah, yeah and so that's something that they've addressed this off week. And to what degree that changes, uh, again, we'll find that on Saturday, but that was one element of – um, the conversation while they were away. Um, another part of what was going on while they were away were just a couple of recruiting notes. Uh, for one, uh, they had the big offensive line target, uh, target Daniel Akinkumi, and I hope I'm saying that somewhat correctly, um, but he had Baylor in his final grouping along with Clemson and Oklahoma, and uh, the big offensive tackle, which Lord knows they could use offensive linemen out of the NFL Academy uh, class of 2024 selected the Oklahoma Sooners. So he is uh, off the board for the Bears. And then I guess the other notable thing I saw recruiting-wise, and you can fill in any other blanks, was uh, that commit Alex Foster, defensive lineman out of Mississippi, has received a Texas offer. Uh, and that came like right on the heels of the tech loss. Like a day or two later, I thought I saw that pretty quickly. And I, I don't know if Texas at all factored in where Baylor was at the time. I figure they're probably smart enough to go like, yeah, they're reeling and this kid's in SEC territory and he looks good and we need it, D lineman. So they offered him. But the timing of it being like right after that tough loss, I was like, oh, that's a double whammy. Uh, so any thoughts on 
Uh, can Cumies commit to Oklahoma and Texas offering commit Alex Foster? Yeah, so Daniel Akinkunmi, he actually had Baylor in his final three. I talked to him kind of the, I guess it was the day before he made his commitment decision, but I had already kind of known it was going to be Oklahoma. He had a really good relationship with Brent Venables. Um, and I think Oklahoma's play also really dictated where he was going to go. Um, you know, sadly for Baylor, they did not play well enough um, for him to, I think, pick them ultimately. So he goes with Oklahoma. There's a lot of momentum there, obviously. But it was, you know, you're never going to win awards for getting second or third. But again, they found this kid, got him on campus, got him on an official visit, gave themselves a chance to land him. And who knows, maybe if they had played better, they might have had an opportunity there. But he's a kid from London, so I do think big brands probably you know stood out to him a little bit. Um, and that, that's kind of what you saw with Oklahoma being the choice there. So a big miss, and now... Um, Baylor only has one guy left who took an official visit who is uncommitted, and that's Roger Saliapaga, uh, at a, the tight end out of Utah. So he's the only one left. Everyone else is either picked somewhere else or picked Baylor uh, at this moment. So that, I guess that's the only other thing of note. And then Alex Foster, yes, got the Texas offer. Uh, it was funny because I talked to him, and he really did not see this coming at all. It was completely out of nowhere, which might speak to what you're talking about as far as Texas just seeing, oh, Baylor's struggling. Let's just reach mm-hmm. out. Let's see if this kid's open. Um, from what Alex has told me, he doesn't have a visit planned to Texas right now. And honestly, as long as he doesn't visit Texas, it's not going to move the needle. Um, but as things progress, it wouldn't shock me if he did visit. He's a very good player, already has double-digit sacks at this point in the season, um, is a huge get. For Baylor in this class, I believe he's either my top-rated recruit in the class or at least right up there. Yeah, he's right behind Kylan Reed. Uh, so the number two player in this class currently might even move up because he's had such a good year um, for me. But yeah, really, really tough to see that because you know Texas is probably going to push for him a little bit. And looking at their kind of the way they've recruited, it does seem like they probably have room for at least one more defensive lineman, even though I believe they already have four um, in the class. Well, I mean, you are going to the SEC, right? So you need to bulk up up front, I guess, even though you've got four guys. Hey, why not a fifth player, especially um, one who's apparently pretty good? So that is a situation to monitor, and that's another aspect that we've barely even touched on. But as the struggles continue, that recruiting part of this whole game is really the lifeblood, and you can only... I think hang your hopes on the transfer portal working magic uh, so much. I mean, as we've seen this past offseason, it's done little to really affect the results on the field as heavy as they went into the portal. Uh, They've had some hits. They've had some misses. They've had some injuries like Mike Smith. Um, but that's that's not a guarantee of anything, no matter how many guys you go and get. So um, you got to recruit the you know the immediate guys as well, and that's a big one for them. But as we've seen, Texas has swooped in, and you know Jody Barron, well after already signing, and um, gosh, uh, Byron Murphy was another guy, Alfred and, Collins, Alfred Collins, and so. You know, there's a history there, and uh, we'll see what the Bears coaching staff can do uh, to try and keep Alex Foster in the fold uh, now that there's some other interests that could be um, – I mean, let's just face it. Like, that's something to be to be uh, noted is uh, that they offer much like if, you know, Alabama would have offered or, you know, some other school uh, along those lines. So um, we'll see there, but recruiting is right around the corner. We just, I guess, have been so distracted by what's on the field that you kind of forget about that. Two but, months away. It is two months away, the very first national signing day. But here in just a few days' time, that's a little bit of what's been going on off the field. Uh, They're getting back to business starting this weekend, the second half of the season, six games to go, three at home, three on the road. 
Baylor two and four on the year. And uh, it's been a, a rough go of things, obviously. Um, but it's also been a rough go of things for their opponent. Uh, Baylor does find itself right now not at the very bottom of the Big 12, but not far off at just one and two in conference play. Luckily for them, the conference is basically just all similar. Um, any given week, it seems like anybody can beat anybody, except for maybe Texas and Oklahoma having a bit more of an advantage than, than others. But, I mean, one week K-State's getting beat by Oklahoma State. One week, you know, it just it goes on and on. Everybody kind of gets their licks in. Uh, but Cincinnati's not been able to do that. They are 0-3. UCF, the only other 0-3 team. The new four schools has struggled a little bit. And uh, Cincinnati's certainly in the race for who's struggled the mightiest so far. Uh, through the first few games of Big 12 play. Despite that, favorites in this game, playing at home. First ever meeting, as I mentioned, I think at the top between these two schools. So both of them at 2-4. and four. Baylor, though, 1-2 and two in the Big 12. Cincinnati, 0-3 oh in the Big 12. So uh, either going to create some separation between yourself and the bottom, or you're going to find yourself right there at the very bottom and things are going to get drastically worse uh, by just finding yourself even farther uh, below than you already were when things aren't feeling all that great. But for Cincinnati, four straight losses uh, for the Bearcats. They beat Eastern Kentucky out of the gates in blowout fashion, uh, then beat Pitt on the road 27-21. They were up bigger in that game, and then Pitt scored a couple late uh, touchdowns to make it look a bit more respectable. Uh, But then ever since then, it's been downhill slide. 31-24, they lost to Miami of Ohio in a stunning uh, upset. Then lost to number 16, Oklahoma, at home in a game where they really kept the Sooners in check. I mean, score-wise, it was only 20-6, to the final score there. Uh, lost to BYU in a one-score game out in Provo. And then lost uh, their biggest margin of the year by 20 to a rising Iowa State team uh, at home. So four straight losses and then the three conference losses, Oklahoma Uh, BYU on the road, and then Iowa State back at home. Uh, They've obviously had some changes. This was not Luke Fickle rolling into the Big 12 as he, of course, went off to Wisconsin and uh, had a hold to do with, um, you know, having to go make a coaching hire as they're entering uh, a new conference. But uh, what have been your thoughts on uh, just what you've seen as far as the Bearcats go with Scott Satterfield and, um, you know, what uh, you're kind of expecting this weekend? You know, I thought Cincinnati was going to be really bad coming into this year, and they beat Pittsburgh on the road, and you kind of thought, oh, Maybe they're okay, and then it turns out Pittsburgh is pretty bad. I know they beat Louisville this weekend, but they were really bad at the beginning of the year mm-hmm. with their starting quarterback situation. And so they start 2-0. and They lose that game to Miami of Ohio, and you go, dang, okay, this is probably still going to be a pretty bad year for them. And it really has been. You know, the Oklahoma game, I know it's only 20-6, to but it was their first Big 12 game. Uh, they got really amped up for it, had a great environment, and still Oklahoma covered uh, the spread in that game. The BYU game is 35-27, but I believe they scored a touchdown late to make that look respectable at all. They, they really didn't play that game very well. And then Iowa State losing 30-10, to 10, and that game was at home. In general, you know, their issues are just, their offense is really bad, and they turn the ball over a ton. During this four-game stretch, they've turned the ball over eight times. They've turned it over twice in every single game over the past four. Um, a lot of that is Emory Jones, their quarterback, turning the ball over, being inaccurate, throwing the football. And I think a lot of it is since the Big 12 play has started, they really haven't ran the ball 
quite as well as they did um, in the early going. They ran okay against Miami of Ohio, or I guess really well against them. But in these last three games, they ran for 242 yards against BYU. But against Iowa State and Oklahoma, they ran for less than four yards per carry against both of them. And so... I think that's kind of where they're at. When they run the football well, they'll be able to score, you know, in the 20s somewhere. If they don't run the football well, that's where you can kind of have those red flags where Cincinnati maybe only scores like 10 points in a game. And that's just because, again, inefficiencies at the quarterback position uh, and inaccuracy is probably the biggest thing that I see here. I think BYU has one of the worst defenses in the Big 12. Um, And Emory Jones completed 62% of his passes in that game. But against Miami of Ohio, Oklahoma, and Iowa State, he completed less than 53% of his passes in all three of those games. So it's been tough sledding for them there. But then on the flip side, their defense has kept them in games. I mean, they were in the game against Oklahoma because of their defense. They were in the game against Miami of Ohio in large part because of their defense. Um, And then the Iowa State game, they were in it basically solely for a half because their defense played well. Uh, They're very good up front, one of the best run defenses in the country, ranking 17th in the nation in run defense. So that's kind of their bread and butter. They're going to stop the run. And I think going into this game, to be clear, Baylor is probably not going to run the football in Cincinnati. It just doesn't seem very likely, but where where you can attack them is in the secondary. You can create big plays against them in the secondary, big completions, and move the chains as long as you're ahead of the chains and not having to sit back there on third and ten. Well, uh, you know, running the ball has been difficult as is. Now a a challenge with uh, the Bearcats' defense that's going to make that even tougher coming out of the bye week. Maybe some of what they've done to shake some of the running game free as far as the pass setting up the run as Dave Aranda talked about. Perhaps that'll help them. But yeah, it's going to be tough to do once again. So how they try to run the football will be uh, very interesting and how effective Blake shaping can be in throwing it up to open up the run or make some plays, um, you know, when they're there to make. Uh, it'll be very important that if a receiver's got an opportunity to bring a ball down, he's going to have to bring the ball down. I mean, they're not going to have a lot of room for error on the road, I feel like. And Cincinnati's home crowd is going to get behind this defense, knowing that that's their best bet to uh, to victory. Uh, on the offensive side, Emory Jones, the guy's bounced around a bit in his college career, uh, but takes over. And, you know, the thing that Aranda mentioned about him in the lead-up was more of him running the football. Uh, as you said, it's been a little bit of a struggle uh, passing uh, his only 300-plus yard game was that opener against uh, Eastern Kentucky. Um, but he's got, you know, 11 touchdown passes, four of those in the last couple of games, uh, three of them against BYU, but he's also got eight interceptions. Uh, Eastern Kentucky, the only team he did not throw a pick against. He's had one, two, two, one, and two interceptions in the last five game or six games, excuse me, um, and a completion percentage that's just a little over 60 percent for the season so I mean he can throw it but it's just not consistent and it's not like absolutely going to be there whenever he it's not something he can just call upon right it's got to be more situational or kind of how the day is going in some ways Um, but he will turn the ball over so head on a swivel fellas Um, at the same time though he can run the ball and that is I think where they've got to be probably the most aware is the quarterback run game because that has bitten them a time or two Um, and he had 72 yards in the latest outing 94 against BYU 
42 against Oklahoma, had a 100-yard game against Miami of Ohio, and did not run it very much or, or very effectively uh, against Pitt or Eastern Kentucky uh, for yardage that's all that notable, but did have a couple of scores in that opening game despite not rushing for a lot of yards. So um, not getting into the end zone rushing the ball, but definitely going to be a guy who's carrying the, the rock on a, on a few carries at least this Saturday. Right, and Baylor hasn't really faced a guy like this outside of Nate Johnson against Utah. You know, I know Quinn had that really long run, but I don't view Quinn as a true dual threat quarterback like this. Emery's much more athletic, much more elusive in the open field. But outside of that, you know, they played a lot of pocket passers. TJ Finley, Baron Morton, like those are guys that more stand in the pocket. LIU had a running quarterback, but they they that's just a really bad team. I'm not going to use that comparison. But yeah, Nate Johnson and Emory Jones have some similarities in that regard. But like you mentioned, the turnovers. Uh, Cincinnati is 100th in the nation in turnover margin this year, minus three. Baylor has to force turnovers to win this game. They're, they're going to have to at least get one or two if they want to have a chance to win this game because they need to get their offense in situations where they can thrive. But in my just the way that I look this at this game is going to come down to just a couple very just specific things. Cincinnati does a great job at creating tackles for loss and sacks. Um, they're right around the top 50 in both of those categories. And... Because of that, the offense line is going to have to hold up some for Baylor to move the football and be able to exploit Cincinnati's weakness, which is they're outside the top 100 in pass efficiency defense. Like, that's the key here. They, If they can hold up, they're going to have so many chances to take shots down the field and create explosive plays in the passing game. But if they can't block, they're going to have some huge issues. And then on the flip side, Cincinnati is so bad at passing the football. Baylor has to be able to get off the field. they got to be able to control the run game. And if they can do that and force Emory Jones to go win this football game, then again, good things should happen for Baylor. So a little bit of... Um, Things there that I think are pretty specific and I think are going to bear itself out in this game. And if Baylor's going to win it, they're going to have to win in a couple of those areas. Yeah, so Emory Jones, the the man to know as far as the backfield goes. He's also their second leading rusher behind Corey Kiner, their main running back. Um, they got a couple of other guys that can you know get some carries here and there, but it's basically Kiner and Jones, and then uh, just a plethora of guys. Xavier Henderson, the the headliner as far as the wide receiving core, um, and they've been more productive. I'm just looking at their, their receiver stats. They've been more productive than the Baylor receivers have been up until this point um, as far as the the yards go. Uh, Monterey Baldwin, I was looking at it last night's got a little over 400 yards and three scores. No, two scores. Uh, did you know not a single uh, – maybe you've read this by now, but not a single Baylor receiver not named Monterey Baldwin has found the end zone this year? Yeah, that's not surprising. Drake Dabney. Yeah, Drake. The only other guy. Drake you know, probably has three touchdowns, He has right? three. You yeah. know how many they have total passing touchdowns? Eight? Five. Five, oh, yeah. Two to Monterey and three to Drake. Well, that's what happens when you can't score in the red zone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you can't run the football. So, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. That's Yeah, that's tough. And, see, I was going to say, you know, Cincinnati's receiving core, I think, is one of the worst position groups in the Big 12. Oh, and they're way and they're, more impressive. I mean, they got 12 receiving touchdowns. Um, Monterey's got 400 yards. I think Henderson's got about that. And then um, Braden Smith's got more than uh, Presley or uh, Keytron Jackson has. Those guys both have like a little over 200 yards. Those are the second and third leading receivers through six games, 200-something yards. Pretty crazy. So, um, yeah, I don't think this is like a an unbeatable uh, offensive, you know, no. machine by any means. It's really going to depend on how they contain Emory Jones and what they allow him to do playmaking-wise and how effective he is and how he protects the football and then, um, 
yeah, offensively, can they, you know, make the plays they need to make to keep the chains moving and keep the offense on the field and give the defense a, you know, a little bit of a break here and there? And can they, you know, be consistent in the red zone? And can they get into the red zone and then get there and be effective? And can they find pockets to run the football when they need to? Um, so it's really a lot of the same questions we've had all year, quite frankly. I, I don't think anything's really been answered. I think everything remains unanswered. And now you just hope that after a little bit of a breather and some time to reconvene and regroup and reshuffle some things that uh, maybe they've they've improved. And that's really just like what you hope for, I guess, in this mm-hmm. game because you can't bank on it by any means. Yeah, and I, I mean, for, for Cincinnati and Mize, you know, their engine on offense is Corey Kiner. Like, when he plays well, usually the offense plays well. But he's had a couple games where he has not played well. Um, And frankly, it's because their offensive line got dominated in those games. And Emory Jones actually handled a lot of the workload there, which I think is a great spot for Baylor to be. You know, if Emory Jones is running more than Corey Kiner, you're probably in a pretty good situation uh, in this game. And again, Baylor's got to find a way to stop the run, which they did not do against Texas Tech and really have not done very well at all outside of for long stretches against Utah. Um, They really haven't stopped the run, which has been very troubling. And if they don't stop the run in this game, then they're probably going to lose this game. Um, Defensively, they got to watch for Cincy is Dante Corleone. He was a Big 12 preseason uh, candidate, you know, for first team. He's a very good player. 22 tackles, four and a half tackles for loss, two sacks. You'll see him trying to wreck havoc right in the middle of uh, the Baylor offensive line, and we'll see if they can block him a little bit better than they had with some other guys this year. But in general, since he is built up front, they're very, very good up front, very stout there in the secondary, not so much. But that's where Baylor's biggest problem has been, it has been maintaining and kind of being able to deal with good defensive lines. Yes, it has been. So uh, running the ball is going to be tough, but they're going to have to find a way, and then uh, Shapin's going to have to, you know, make some plays, uh, you know, through the passing game. Uh, that's that's going to be the big mystery is is how they're able to, you know, score points because that has been uh, a chore here in uh, recent weeks. And then, you know, defensively, a lot of the same things. Can they hold up? Can they stop the big explosive plays or the big runs? And, um, yeah, it'll be an interesting matchup. I've seen Cincinnati, the, the line's been increasing. Um, and, you know, Two and I'm, a half now. I'm not big into that, but it is telling sometimes. And so the fact that Cincinnati is not like some great team by any means, um, but you're seeing that line increase is, is interesting that money's coming in on them. So, yeah, just not a lot of faith in Baylor right now that they're going to, you know, be equipped to get the job done or that they're going to be, you know, uh, a team that's um, going to go in there and even be competitive. I mean, I think it's it's a crapshoot on what to expect coming out of this game and coming out of the bye week. So we will see. But since the is favorites and uh, they are in search of their first Big 12 win, and that would be – uh, I don't know. That'd be a tough one to take. I feel like against uh, one of these these new schools, like they're going to get their wins along the way, like Houston against West Virginia. Like it's just going to happen at at some points. But um, that's kind of just showing you the the downward trend. I feel like is is you can see it as evidenced by that that line because it's not like Cincinnati is just setting the world on fire at the moment. So very much a battle to remain away from the bottom of the Big 12 is what this actually is. Yeah, it absolutely is. And luckily, Baylor beat UCF, and UCF has to play Oklahoma this Mm -hmm. week, so they probably won't go to the bottom if they do lose this game because they beat UCF. But in general, I mean, you lose this game, you're definitely not making a bowl. I mean, you can throw that out the window. I was telling Garrett before uh, we recorded, I mean, they really need to go 3-0 and in these next three games if they want a shot at making a bowl. It feels that way, at least. Yeah, and they won't be favorites probably in 
in any game, but maybe Houston in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, this was one game he thought maybe they'd be favorites, but then again, it's on the road. Who really knows? But they yeah, opened as favorites. I they believe. did, but yeah. uh, you know, as we talked about, that line has moved and it's only moving further in Cincy's direction. They will not be favored against Iowa State. They will not be favored against K State. They will not be favored against TCU. And we'll see West Virginia in like five weeks of where that is. Um, but right now, they would not be favored against West Virginia. So. Um, yeah, they're going to be dogs in uh, every game probably, but Houston coming up next week, or in a couple of weeks, I should say. So, yeah, this is an important one, and this is one of their best bets, but it's also on the road. And then again, I wonder, are they better on the road? We've only seen them one time on the road, and they didn't play well for three quarters, and then they exploded and won that game miraculously in Orlando. So that's been our only glimpse at them away from McLean Stadium. This will be take two, and there are three road games in this second half of the season, three home, three road um, and, and starting off on the road in the Queen City. So. Yeah, they're undefeated on the road. Yeah, year. they are. <laughs> and, um, you know, Useless stat, be, but. Be, it'll be interesting. Like, if they go, like, 3-1 and one on the road, and they had this big eight-game home schedule. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that home field advantage just has not been an advantage for them. So maybe there is something to play on the road, just getting out of the, the confines and just not having, like Aranda described it, of this, the, the pressure that comes with playing at home, um, which it's a shame that it's, it's been what it's like for them, whereas it should be like, hey, we're playing at home, and more is like a burden almost, which is kind of strange. But he did say they, he, and I'm glad he stopped himself because he was saying that, and then he immediately said, yeah. we have to play better at home. Like, yeah. it, I don't care. I'm saying all these good things about going on the road. We have to be better at home. This is inexcusable. I'm glad he said that mm-hmm. because I was just sitting there like, oh, it's great to go on the road. And I'm like, dude, no, like, you got to win these games at home. It's way more important. You win all your home games, you're going to a bowl game every year. Yeah, yeah, especially this year with, with eight of them. But he did catch – I don't know if he caught himself, but he did realize, I think, maybe what he was saying and and did say, like, yeah, we have to be better at home. It's unacceptable, and, and I agree that, uh, you know, you've, you've just got to play better for your fans to, to keep churning out and uh, showing up. And so three more opportunities to do that. But interested to see how many people make that first trip up to uh, Cincinnati. So – they're the Bearcats, uh, slight favorites, but that line is growing as the uh, week has gone on. And I don't know, a winnable game in my estimation, but I just don't think you can bank on anything with this team right now. Uh, meanwhile, and we'll get into more about football when it comes to uh, the mailbag here in just a second, but did want to make mention that basketball is rolling up right around the corner and some preseason stuff is starting to uh, come out. And that includes the all Big 12 uh, selections as well as the Big 12 preseason poll, and uh, when it comes to, uh, let's start off, I guess, with the uh, preseason poll. Kansas, the favorites to win the conference, big surprise there, uh, 12 of possible 14 first-place votes. Uh, they get the number one spot in the preseason rankings. Houston, number two. And the only other team receiving first-place votes. They got a couple of first-place votes, and we do know this. It wasn't Kelvin Sampson. You can't vote for your own team. Uh, So that means that he voted for Kansas uh, in this this poll. And Bill Self voted for Houston, that much we can deduct, but don't know who the other coach was that voted for Houston. But Bill Self had to be one of the two. Uh, So then you've got Texas at three, Baylor at four, TCU, K-State, Iowa State, Texas Tech, West Virginia, Oklahoma State at number 10, and then Cincinnati, Oklahoma, BYU, and UCF. So three of the new right there at the bottom, uh, along with Oklahoma, and then Houston, obviously the outlier there at number two and receiving a couple of first-place votes is that's their big 
bring to the Big 12 is that basketball program. But your thoughts on Baylor at four and just the poll itself uh, for the preseason men's basketball, uh, you know, uh, I guess, predictions. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the biggest thing that jumps out is there's a clear top four in everyone's mind for the most part. Baylor has 24 more votes than TCU, who's in fifth. Um I'll also say, I know Houston's been good, but I do think they're getting a little bit too much um, credit here. And I know they've, you know, they've been successful in the tournament. They've won games outside of their conference play, but it's such a different animal going into the Big 12 and having to play these teams night after night. I I do think that's going to wear on them a little bit. Uh, They're probably still going to be a top four, top five type team, but I don't think they're going to finish number two. Uh, next year and as for Baylor I think this is a fine spot for them they lost a lot of guys they they seem like they should be kind of jumbled in that two three four mix somewhere in there I personally think they're probably going to be the second best team in the big 12 um, if not first but I also understand where they're at in this poll right now and Kansas is going to be darn good I mean adding Hunter Dickinson to what they already have coming back it's a very veteran squad and usually you it's very safe to bet on older teams who have kind of proven themselves already also voted on the uh, preseason individual awards, and you had Hunter Dickinson of Kansas, uh, the big man uh, from uh, Michigan. He rolls in as the preseason player of the year, also the preseason newcomer of the year. Meanwhile, Jacoby Walter, Baylor freshman, uh, the next you know big thing as far as uh, Bears recruits go, uh, preseason freshman of the year, uh, Jacoby Walter gets that nod. Preseason All Big Twelve. Uh, you've got first team or the you know main All Big Twelve team, L.J. Cryer, formerly of Baylor, but now at Houston. Hunter Dickinson, Dewan Harris, uh, Dickinson's teammate there for the Jayhawks. TCU forward Emmanuel Miller and uh, Max Asmus of Texas taking the other guard spot there. So those are your uh, preseason All Big Twelve selections. And as you see there, honorable mention, uh, you do have three Bears there with Jalen Bridges, Ray J. Dennis. And Jacoby Walter, Dennis and Walter, um, both newcomers. Uh, so your thoughts uh, on anything that sticks out from that list as well? I mean, I think it's pretty fair to not have a Baylor player on that list. I think Baylor's going to be pretty balanced. Probably going to be hard to have more than maybe one guy on the All-Big 12 team by the end of the year. Not just be whoever thrives. Uh, great to see that for Jacoby Walter, though. I do think he will be the preseason freshman. Or I think by the end of the year, he will be the freshman of the year. I, I think he's going to have a great season. Very, very good player. Baylor fans are going to get to know him pretty quickly. He, he's a very special player. As is the other freshman, Eves Missy, who I don't think many people are talking about, but he's going to be a huge upgrade uh, down low for them along with a healthy everyday John but like seeing this for Ray J Dennis and Jalen Bridges they're going to be very good players as well and Baylor's in a good spot I mean three guys on the honorable mention list um, that's a good spot to be that means you're going to be a pretty good good team I think Meanwhile, the AP preseason poll also came out, uh, and we got a little glance at that yesterday. And Kansas, the number one team in the country to start off the season. Uh, Duke, number two. Purdue, three. Michigan State, four. And Marquette rounds out the top five. Other notables, you got Houston as the second-ranked Big 12 team there at number seven. Uh, Go down Gonzaga of note because of the recent rumors again surrounding them in the Big 12. They're at number 11. Uh, Arizona, future Big 12 school there at 12. Uh, Also got Texas at number 18. Baylor at number 20. And uh, that's all there is. There's also some others like K-State receiving votes outside of the poll. Um, But there you go. So you got what? KU, Houston, Texas, and Baylor. Um, And then the... 
new uh, schools that will be coming in Arizona on there, and then you know possibly Gonzaga. We'll see how how all of that goes with that continued or renewed uh, courtship. But uh, yeah, number twenty for the Bears to start off in the preseason poll. Yeah, way too low, way too low. I mean, this is the Big Twelve, y'all. The, the Big Twelve is going to have four teams inside the top 15 by the end of the year, maybe even five. I mean, it's just that's the way that it is with this conference. Also, to have Texas A&M ranked ahead of Baylor, um, that's rather laughable in my eyes. A&M hasn't shown anything in my eyes that tells me, oh, yeah, this this is the time where they're going to be a top 15 team in college basketball. They might be better. They might make the tournament. That's great. They're not better than Baylor. So that was one that really jumped out to me. I do think Baylor's ranked a little too low here. But I also understand, you know, they're replacing a lot. A lot of people have a lot of value in LJ Cryer, obviously, having him an all-Big 12 guy, and then losing Adam Flagler. So I understand that. But Baylor also returns a ton. So I, I feel like this was pretty low and just at this point I think it's rather low and not a good bet on against Scott Drew in my eyes yeah so there you go that's how it's starting off at least for uh, the time being uh the preseason basketball poll and uh, that'll be getting underway here uh in the coming weeks and uh, not too far off at all at this point so uh see that stadium that arena rising up more and more every single day and uh not too far away not only from basketball season but eventually a couple months in uh, that arena now coming into play as well, which is a long time coming and will be very, very cool. But the Bears in the top 25, you know, near the top of the, the Big 12. And so sitting pretty and definitely have room to to rise. Uh, so uh, looking forward to all of that getting underway. Now, uh, mailbag, anything else before we get into this? Let's do all it. right, uh, Alpha Needle, buy or sell. Victor Webinyama will have a better NBA career than Tim Duncan. Well, Tim Duncan's the third best player to ever play basketball so I can't put Victor ahead of of Timmy that's just he had such a storied career but I will say anyone that was having questions about whether Victor could actually play in the NBA or was going to be good yeah he's silenced those that guy is phenomenal and whether he gets hurt or not that that's up in the air who knows but he is a very special talent like everything I'm seeing it, it's ridiculous some of the things he can do I'm just curious what what do you base third best ever on for Tim Duncan I think, you know, based on where he played, how much he accomplished in the time that he played, the lack of having, like, top 50 players on his team. I don't think he – I mean, David was late in his career, but he didn't play with anyone that was, like, a true top 100 player of all time. He won five rings. He beat some of the best teams in basketball, being the Lakers, beating, you know, the the Pistons, who were really, really good, beat LeBron with the Heat. I just special and he played a long time which is also a big deal as well true culture guy he's no Dirk Nowitzki but that's fine uh Victor (laughs) Webinyama will not have a better career than Tim Duncan I'll just say that uh I don't I don't think that uh I'm gonna go that far just yet but he's gonna be a force and because he's just so different like I mean it 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 just looks kind of dumb actually like it looks (laughs) like some like some space scene in the future like it's, it's in a movie wild. or something yeah. because like the dude takes two steps to go to the full court anyways um <laughs> i mean he's gonna be uh, a very interesting addition to the nba for sure buy or sell vj edgecomb will be a baylor bear Ooh, then this is me saying that trey johnson won't be um i'm going to sell i think trey johnson is who commits to Baylor instead of VJ, and I don't think they'll get both, but who knows? I'll sell, but it's very loose. I I could see it going either way. I'm talking basketball there for those not aware. Uh, Jeff Grimes is the OC at Baylor in 2024. I just think, I don't think they're going to make a bowl, and if they don't make a bowl, Dave Rander probably has to just make some sort of changes, and I, I think 
that that means Grimes will probably be a change. Sadly, because I, I don't think it's all on him. Yeah, I mean, I think this six-game stretch is going to be really important. And, you know, I don't know. With the way things have gone, Grimes has been here a little while now. Like, he may want to go somewhere when it's all said and done at the end of the year. I'm sure there will be plenty of teams that would be interested in, in having him. Um, but, I, yeah, I think a lot of it, you know, is going to depend on just how these next six games go and what that looks like. But I think that if you have to cut bait at the end of the year, I mean, um, it's not going to be Matthew Pallage after one season, I don't think. And and I, I don't know. I don't want to really predict that all that much. But, I mean, the writing's kind of on the wall that some things are going to have to change. They can't just run it back again because, Lord knows, you can't sell that to the fan base. Um, I don't care, you know, what other area you're looking at. I mean, if bringing Dave Aranda back is the call – no matter what happens, then okay. But you're going to have to figure out a way to, to get the fan base showing up to McLean Stadium, you know? And and so just running it back is not going to be the answer. Texas beats Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship and goes to the CFP. Buy or sell? Sell. Yeah. I don't think they're going to the college football playoff. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll sell that for right now. I mean, it does look like they could very well go one win or go one loss and that only loss being Oklahoma to the championship game and that Oklahoma could be unbeaten in that championship game and the winner would go to the CFP, but I'm just not ready to go there just yet. Um, but we'll see. That is certainly a possibility. Scotty B, the Baylor King, who would you guess will be in the starting lineup in men's basketball and women's basketball uh, will be assuming that both teams are 100% healthy? So I think for basketball, I would go Ray J. Dennis at point guard, um, Jaden Nunn, at the two, that's a tough one. It's him or Langston. I'll go Jaden for now. Uh, Jacoby Walter, Jalen Bridges, and then I think it'll be Everyday John. But Langston Love and Eves Missy are the two kind of, I, I would say, not outliers, but they're the two guys that I think could push for a starting spot. Um, on the women's side, it's a little bit little bit tougher here. I think it's probably Sarah Andrews, um, Dariana Littlepage-Bugs, Asia Blackwell, um, Dreyuna Edwards, and who am I missing, Garrett? Who do you think I'm missing uh, there? I'm drawing a blank. I'm honestly not sure. <laughs> yeah, um, probably uh, one. Don't, of the, don't look over here. <laughs> I'm not up on one game. of the transfers. Uh, Jada Walker, or somebody probably. Yeah, Jada Walker. Yeah, she'd make sense. Or Yaya Felder. Right. That's that's the last one of them. Yeah. Yeah, one of them would be your fifth. All right, uh, yeah, I wish I could help, but uh, I'm not not up on game as far as uh, that part of the equation goes right now. But we'll have to be here pretty soon because, uh, again, they're going to be uh, back in action um, momentarily. Do you think the Baylor run defense will be better once Trey Emery and Jarrell Boykins and nose tackle are actually playing in a game? If yes, how much? I'm curious because I saw both warm up last game but don't recall them playing a single down. Trey Emery played minimal against Tech, um, but they need both these guys. They really do. And, I mean, Cooper Lands is a very good player and great technique and everything that he's brought. He plays extremely hard. He's he's very solid. But it's so hard for this defense to function with a 270-pound nose tackle. It just is. Getting Boykins in there at 330 pounds, Trey Emery in there at 315, it should change some things, especially for inside zone running uh, type schemes. But at the end of the day, the linebackers also have to play better as well. So they won't change everything, but I do think they'll clear up some lanes for those linebackers to be better. 
Yeah, it'll help, but I don't think those guys guarantee anything. But, yeah, you definitely are better with them and having more bodies and more players to make plays. Um, that that can't hurt you. Um, but, yeah, I don't think that they're like the saving grace either, that they're going to come in and like, oh, all is solved, and they're stopping the run with regularity all of a sudden. Um, but, yeah, they definitely need those guys. Um, and hopefully they're back soon because this has been like an ongoing thing now for like weeks of – they're practicing like I know with Boykins it was getting into shape, but that was like three weeks yeah. ago. And well, it's like, it was both of them. It was both of them. Well, he, he commented specifically at one point on Boykins yeah. having to get in shape. Well, and Boykins came back earlier than Emery, so that's the other part that stinks. It's taken him so much longer to yeah. get to the point where he can play. Uh, Emery, meanwhile, got to play last week and he should be fine. But you you'd like to have Boykins because they thought very highly of him when that was they got him. supposed to be one of their big gets, yeah. uh, you know, to help replace some of those guys lost on the line and or just, you know, add to uh, the line, and, and that has not been the case. So, uh, yes, Scotty, hopefully those guys are back soon, and, and it would help to have uh, some more bodies for sure. Golden Green, do you believe Aranda's hamstrung by our administration in any meaningful way? To me, it seems like an unfounded theory to rationalize what we are seeing on the field. I mean, it kept them from getting a transfer who would play in the secondary in a Johnny Carter. So, I mean, like, that's not helpful. Um, you know, I, I'm not – that's not all on the administration. It's not all on the football program. But there is something there as to why he couldn't get in, even though the thought was when he committed that he would. Um, so, something wrong there. So, that's meaningful. I think – in general, you know, there might be some other ways, but, you know, Dave Randa, I, I think the biggest thing for me when I look at this roster is just the management of it. They have got to manage this roster better, and by that I mean bringing in transfers, finding ways to recruit better, finding ways to get guys off the roster who aren't going to contribute. All those things come into play, and all those things need to be addressed because this team needs more talent and more opportunities to acquire talent. Yeah, I mean, there are guys who definitely haven't panned out or are taking a really long time to pan out or probably are never going to pan out. Um, there's also, like, I think the concerning part to me as far as some of the roster management goes was, you know, you're supposed to get all of that seasoning this off season, you know, and correct the mistakes from last year. And then what happens? You roll into the season and it's like, well, you know, we're pretty young. And it's like, What? What do you mean you're pretty, like, you just had the whole offseason to not be really young in spots. And so, like, I get it that the secondary is going to be good one day if you keep them together for three more years. But, like, the whole portal purpose was to not be super young in places. And yet that's the whole thing that you're talking about for why you're struggling. That just doesn't make sense to me. Am I crazy here? No, you're not. Yeah, and so, like, I'm that's, you. that's yeah. just one of those where it's like, how did we get to that spot? That's just that's the part that you can't really explain away, and that's that's where they aired. Um, I don't think the administration is hamstringing them too much outside of a case like here and there, like an Ajani Carter. Maybe it limits some of what they can pursue as opposed to in a, you know, a different scenario at a different institution or something. But I don't think it's like – the scapegoat and it's not to the extreme of like we can't get any guys in here who are talented because they sneeze wrong in class like let's not make it no. more than it is um but yeah i think there's probably like a case-by-case -case basis or maybe like an ajani carter for example they didn't get him because of that but i i think that that's um 
that's that's an unfounded theory to rationalize what people are seeing on the field. So to answer your question, like, yeah, I think that that's, that's getting a lot more blame than it actually deserves to try and explain away some of what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. So, no, I don't think it's a valid excuse for the struggles overall. RJ Geary, where did you miss on the more athletic line? How can Mateos watch Tate in spring and fall practices and not see he can't pass protect against anyone that has lateral quickness? Is our D-line – okay, well, I guess let's start there first. Well, I mean, where did I miss? I mean, where did the staff miss? I mean, I – you know what I mean? Like that that's kind of where this is. I mean, they are supposed to be more athletic, but being more athletic doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be good. And we're kind of seeing that, you know, they've struggled in some areas specifically in my eyes. I, I just think they're weak up front. And, and I think that's the biggest challenge. And maybe that has to do with starting true freshmen. Actually not. Maybe it definitely, that's part of it. Um, but they just they don't get movement like they did last year and the year before. And, and that's the biggest struggle that I have in seeing them going forward into this season is you can't correct strength you know, in, in one during the year. Like, that comes in the offseason. Um, so they're going to have to find ways to manufacture a good offensive line or at least a serviceable offensive line if they want to be competitive in games moving forward. But, yeah, I mean, Tate hasn't improved the way that I think many thought that he would, including myself. Um, but I am intrigued by some of the freshmen and what they could be going forward. But, yeah, right now, not not looking great. But, again, it's selling the long game, and there's just not patience for, for that for a lot of uh, – yeah parts of the the fan base and the supporters is our d-line that bad and can the 200 players be a significant upgrade just like we said i don't think it's a significant upgrade i think it's an upgrade in numbers and bodies and you know talent available but i don't think significant upgrade would be how i would categorize that i think it makes it a significant upgrade in the fact that you do provide more depth but i guess so like i think down by down it definitely is an upgrade and definitely helps the defense but my main issue is, okay, well, if they are able to stop the run up the middle, then teams are just going to attack them horizontally like UCF did. And so they're still going to manufacture run against Baylor because the linebackers haven't been great either. So I think they will help and solidify some things so that you're not giving up, you know, third and four runs right up the middle. Um, but yeah, I mean, to say, oh, now they're going to go from a bad defense to a great one. No, I think they can go from bad to maybe mediocre in some games. Yeah, that's what I'm just saying. I don't think that all of a sudden it's like you feel like you have like vintage Jadavian clownies out there. No. You know, like they're not like no. all of a sudden you're going to be like, where was Trey Emery all this time? Or no, it'd just be like they'd be slightly better because of, again, the depth and th- that kind of stuff. But yeah, as far as like a significant upgrade, not really, no. Um, Bears 224, what do you think the staff saw in this O-line that caused them to not take any more guys in the transfer portal? I cannot imagine the frustration you feel, Grayson, after saying time and again in the offseason, we should be taking another O-lineman, hoping for a turnaround sick him. And this, again, goes back to what I said a few minutes ago about the – well, we're kind of young, and it's like, but you shouldn't be. like, But yeah. but if you thought that, then you, that should have been addressed. And so the whole, like, O-line thing is like, how did you not see this as an issue? And, like, and here's the thing is, you can ask me, like, how did I not see it? Well, first of all, I'm not a football and X's and O's guys, but I'm trusting the coaches know what they're doing. So if they feel like they don't need to go get anybody, I'm just going to feel like, okay, well, they must not feel like they need anybody. But clearly that that's not the case. So... Yeah, how do you? Uh, what do you think the staff saw that caused them not to take any more guys? Well, they saw that they had no scholarships available to take more there offensive linemen, and it's not scholarships for the whole roster. You got to remember the staff views it as you know position by position, right? Like offensive line has this many scholarships available, receiver has this many, and that kind of dictates. Okay, so who can you take in the transfer portal? Who can you actually pursue? That's how the program, you know, most programs work. The problem is, is that 
you know, a lot of that comes down to roster management, which I've mentioned ad nauseum, and also the fact that you're just betting on these young guys taking just this huge step forward when you could have just gone out and added a couple more veterans. Like, I'm sorry, but you can't tell me they had a couple more veteran offensive linemen. You can't, I truly don't think you can tell me they don't beat Texas State and they don't beat Utah. I really don't. I truly don't. They were that bad on the offensive line in those two games at times when it mattered the most. I just, it impacted them. It almost, you know, it got Blake shape and hurt um, just in that Texas State game. So just in general, it, it's pretty shocking to me. And it, it honestly could have made their season look infinitely better in those two specific games. Yeah, uh, so there's a there's your answer, scholarship numbers, but there's just got to be a better way to deal with that, a better plan to, to deal with that because um, it's obviously been an issue, and it's, again, just kind of crazy to circle back around one more time and say, oh, well, you know, it's just it's growing up, and you got to give them time. It's like, but you don't have time. Like, you don't and they have open scholarships available still. Yes. Yeah, like, well, there baffling. you go. Yeah, I mean, so that just that's, that's just poor – management of the roster like you said that's that's an area where they they aired uh master pierce mph uh and thank you bears 224 master pierce uh, how does our poor run defense effectively stop mobile quarterbacks emory jones a decent runner for cincy but isn't even the best in our schedules we still have to play avery johnson for k-state and avery johnson the new flavor of the month after what he yeah. did against tech by the way a great follow-up performance from tech uh, at home on saturday night to just get walloped but that might be Avery Johnson, and the Bears might be in that position here in just a few weeks themselves, and a lot of the Big 12 might be because he looks like he's got some skills, but um, nice bounce back for Kansas State for sure. Uh, how do you feel about the run defense, though, stopping mobile quarterbacks? Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to be – I think the biggest thing for Baylor and Myers is if you stop Corey Kiner and you force Emory Jones to beat you as the runner, I think you're in a better position than you would be if you did the opposite. Um, you're going to, Emory's going to get a couple runs here and there. You just can't be given up, you know, 150 yards on the ground. Like you can't just get demolished by him, but he is going to have probably 50 plus yards on the ground. You just have to make those inefficient 50 yards. And for me, I think it comes back, you know, just simply put defense line and linebackers, you know, are you going to be able to create pressure, get some sacks? Are the linebackers going to be able to spy him well enough and tackle him in the open field? Those are the big things that I think we still probably have quite a few question marks about because Baylor hasn't faced a mobile quarterback to this level yet this year outside of Nate Johnson, who we saw in the Utah game, who had some success in some key moments for the Utes against Baylor. Yeah, uh, Nate Johnson uh, was exactly who I was thinking of as well, and he he was able to bite them. We didn't see them have to play John Rice Plumley. Um, that would have been a, a good test as far as a mobile quarterback goes. Um, but yeah, John uh, Jones is um, you know an effective runner, but uh, you'd rather him rip off a couple here and there as opposed to Kiner having like a field day, like you said. So um, we'll see. Uh, they will get that test and. Um, there will be more to come, like you said, with uh, most likely Avery Johnson being one of those guys. Burger 86, um, we hired Aranda knowing that he would continue what Rule had built on the defensive side. Offensively, we blame Grimes, the OC. Defensively, how is it possible we are the worst tackling team in the Big 12? Why have we seen no violence on defense? Rule went to full scrimmage on Sunday after the Michigan game. Have practices gotten much tougher during the bye week? Yeah, I mean, well, according to Aranda, the practices have gotten not as tough because they're trying to keep guys healthy. That's what he said. Yeah, his answer to the health question was very strange. Yeah. And I know that that plays into it, too. But it's like you really can't, I mean, at this point, you can't really fall on that card. Right. Um, but 
the way he answered it, like, it made it sound, like, ominous almost. Am I mm. tripping here? Uh, a little bit, and it's kind of one of those things where, I mean, I think Gerald Boykins is a good player, but he might, I mean, he the way he answered that made it seem like, oh, we need guys back like we've been snake bit with injuries. Like, yeah. does that mean Gerald Boykins is about to show up and be, <laughs> right. like, just a superstar? But either way, it did feel like their practices are going to get a little bit, maybe, I don't know, less tough. I, I I don't really know how to take that, but he did say we're going to try to limit injuries, so I'm not really sure that they've gotten tougher. I do think that there's been a concerted effort to make sure that there is focus and fire and effort going into this game because Aranda mentioned that that was pretty key along with execution. It was that edge, right, that edge, the, the fire to go into this game and, and play with that edge and take it from practice to the game. So I think that's a positive sign. Now, as far as your first part, um, it's been baffling, honestly, what we've seen defensively. I will say that, and this has been mentioned some, but the classes right when Rule was leaving, that's what, 2019-2020 classes really did no favors uh, to Baylor uh, defensively. And that's why you're seeing so many young guys playing. And again, this is not an excuse. It's more of a reason behind what we're seeing, right? And should these problems been addressed? Absolutely. But it's where Baylor is at right now. They're playing young guys. And I think we've seen enough flashes to kind of sit back and go, hey, you know, Caden Jenkins might be an all-Big 12 guy soon. You know, oh, like, they got some other guys back there, Devin Bobby, Devin Lemire, who are growing, who could be better by the end of the year. You know, it's possible. Like, you can talk yourself into it. But in general, you know, you expect a Dave Randa defense to be a top 20 defense every single year. And now we've seen two straight years of them being not good last year and really bad this year. Yep, so... um uh, it's been disappointing, but um, I think you kind of look across the board, and that's sort of been the the theme. But you know, especially defensively, I understand the frustrations being that that's if one thing you can fall back and rely on and be like, at least we'll be good on defense, right? And that's not even been the case. So, uh, man, just very curious to see what this team looks like against Cincinnati because if they come out and lay an egg, man, then. I just I don't know what you can even say at that point. Um, but if they come out and they just play hard and. Um, you know, look good at least. Like there will be something to, to chew on and you know get optimistic about. But uh, yeah, if they come out and lay an egg, I mean, because let's not forget the last time we saw them on the road, they won. They're one and zero, but they won a quarter, a quarter. They got whooped for three quarters basically, and then they won in the fourth quarter, starting at the late third quarter. They turned it on against UCF, but outside of that, that was headed directly for losing territory, and they snatched that one. So they're going to have to perform much, much better from the very get-go against Cincinnati uh, this Saturday at 11 a.m., first ever meeting between these two teams. Burger 86, thank you for closing out the mailbag this week. And so, um, you know, coming off a of bye, we didn't expect a ton of questions, but obviously a lot of it's just based around what's gone wrong. And, you know, when things are going wrong, that's where the focus is going to be. So it's understandable. Uh, but, Grace, anything before we move into some Big 12 picks, I guess, here? No, let's move into them. So this week, Big 12 predictions. Uh, let's start with 11 a.m. on ABC. UCF travels to Oklahoma, the number six team in the nation. Oklahoma's a 19.5 point favorite. The over-under is 65.5. Who you got? 
I'd expect Oklahoma to run the football effectively um, and also Dylan Gabriel to take full advantage of playing his old team. So give me Oklahoma. I just think they're clearly a better team. Yeah, I'll take Oklahoma here. I do think this will be a high-scoring game, something like 48-24, to 24, but I like the Sooners to win this game. Next and how to- much, how healthy is John Rice Plumley? Yeah. That's, uh, that's something well, else we'll need to see. And they shouldn't have played him the week before the bye because no. he clearly wasn't wasn't ready it, it cost them from being in that game against kansas in my opinion um next up on the slate 2 30 p.m on espn oklahoma state travels to west virginia west virginia is a three and a half point favorite the over under is 49 and a half yeah man i don't know this is a weird game uh, to try and pick uh i think you know with it being in morgantown it gives me pause but i don't know i think I this is a f- coin flip game here Oklahoma State's obviously playing better Ollie Gordon has been a a nice revelation for them over the last month at running back they've got good skill guys and Alan Bowman's been the guy to settle in and and just lead them offensively now with Gordon being the main weapon Um, but yeah West Virginia's good too Uh, Garrett Green had a big performance they just lost on a Hail Mary so I guess give me West Virginia at home but it wouldn't shock me to see Oklahoma State rolling there and grab a close win. Um, but, yeah, I guess give me West Virginia by a slight margin at home. But I could be convinced otherwise. Yeah, I think this is going to be a close game. I'm going to take West Virginia as well. I think they can exploit Oklahoma State's defense. And Oklahoma State finally getting away from home after these two straight wins I think will be a little bit tougher for them to go into that environment. So I'll take West Virginia 27-24. Should be a good game, though. Uh, 3 p.m. on Fox. Texas, number eight team in the country, travels to Houston, Texas. 23.5 point favorite. Over-under is 61 points. Well, that's a, a great win that Houston was able to grab against West Virginia, uh, snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. I don't have a lot of optimism, though, for them doing that against Texas. It'll be cool to see Texas have to play at TDECU, the only time that'll that'll ever happen. Um, could have gotten more at Reliant, or Ener- is it Energy now, right? Yeah, yeah, Energy. But it's not supposed to be a Texas home game, so I like that they st- uh, stayed with the less money-making opportunity and having the unique atmosphere at home. But, yeah, I, I don't – this could get ugly for the home squad. <laughs> Give me Texas. Yeah, Texas is about to blow out Houston. I, I don't think this game will be close. Something like 56-21. to 21. I like the Longhorns big in this one. Next game up, 6 p.m. on FS1. Texas Tech travels to BYU. Tech is a four-and-a-half-point favorite. The over-under is 52 points. Yeah, that's another one. They're kind of like Oklahoma State, West Virginia. Just don't really know, right? Um, I think Tech is a slightly better team, but um, you know that game was a little bit. That was like a nine o'clock kickoff, and I would be like BYU all the way. It's still a night game, but I don't know. I don't. I don't really think either one of these teams is all that great, to be honest with you. I think they're. They think they both go from like slightly below average to average to slightly above average, and they just kind of hover in that area on any given week. Um, I think Tech's a little bit better, but yeah, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt, though. But yeah, I don't, I don't really know on this game. Yeah, I think BYU is pretty bad, actually, and so That's I'm going to take Tech here, even though it's hard for me because it is in Provo, and I could see Tech just completely, yeah, like, well, they're weird too. Like, they're, yeah. like I just said, they all hover, like they're both hovering in that same area. Um, 
But the only thing that gives me pause in, in not picking Tech is the Provo factor. Yeah. So besides that, I would pick Tech anywhere neutral site or whatever right. by a slight margin. Yeah, and and that makes sense. I just BYU's defense is very troubling for me to watch. But their offense isn't great. It's I, not good no. either. Like that's what I mean. Like I don't think they're good, but they're four and two. Their record says that. But I'm going to take Tech here. I, I think Tech actually wins this game, like 31-24. It's kept close, but I think Tech's just a better team. And they kind of need to win that game too if they don't then uh they might not go bowling uh joey mcguire and the red raiders if they don't they're definitely not going bowling right like they'd be three and five that's it's a lot to ask with the game against texas still on the slate as well uh next game up 6 p.m espn 2 tcu travels to kansas state kansas state is a six and a half point favorite the over under is 59 points really really fun one uh here in uh in manhattan yeah, this is unpredictable in a, an exciting way. Uh, TCU might have a better quarterback now than they did at the start of the year, and so might K State. Um, we're going to see, you know, at least some of Avery Johnson. To what extent they, you know, mix and mingle Will Howard will be interesting. And then for TCU, it's obviously the Josh Hoover show now, and he got off to a really good start. Give me K State at home, but I think this ought to be a really good game. And um, I'm curious if TCU is starting to turn a little bit of a corner and get back to. Um, becoming the team they thought they could be at the start of the year after some struggles and after the Morris injury of maybe that was a blessing in disguise. We'll see. But, uh, yeah, give me K-State at home, though. Yeah, I think TCU just beat a really bad BYU team, as I mentioned right before, and at home. And so I think going on the road here, I think K-State's a better football team than TCU. I think Josh Hoover played well, but I also saw some flashes of, oh, he might make some mistakes on the road. It might turn the ball over a little bit, get a little careless. K-State, I trust them to run the football, play physical, and because of that, I think they win this game actually rather easily, something like 37-24. I like the Wildcats in that matchup. And then finally... Uh, last game on the slate, 11 a.m. on ESPN+. Plus. Baylor travels to Cincinnati. Cincinnati is a two-and-a-half point favorite. The over-under is 50-and-a-half points. Who you got, Craig? Yeah, honestly, I haven't given this any thought until just now. <laughs> I forget, like, we're supposed to do predictions. Um, I'm not giving Baylor for the benefit of the doubt. I don't, I don't think Cincinnati is very good, though. I, uh, man... I'm going to say Baylor just has a little thing for being on the road, but I don't feel great about this pick at all. It's just I, I don't feel great about either team. I, I, I don't think they're either one very good. Um, so, yeah, give me give me Baylor. Just they, they come off the bye week. It's a team that is beatable, and they find a way to win a close game. But I, I have little to no faith in that pick, honestly. Yeah, and I don't blame you for having no faith in this. Um I'm going to pick Baylor, too, just because, like, you're coming off a bye week. If you're ever going to play good football, you would think it'd be this game off the bye week against a team that's not very good. And if you want any chance at having just a decent season, I mean, well, no one's going to call not making a bowl a decent season. But if you want to just be competitive towards the end of the year, you got to win a game like this. And so I think Baylor gets the job done. I have a little bit of faith in them, especially offensively, to make some plays, specifically Blake Shapin. Um, And he's probably going to have to win them this game. And so I'm going to take Baylor here. uh, Low-ish scoring, but uh, I like the Bears 24-20 to to get the job done in a very close game against a team that's not very good. Yeah, and uh, I would not put money on that. I don't. No. I would not feel great about placing a bet on that in any way. Um, so yeah, I just, I don't know. I think that they could 
could win this game. But, you know, beyond maybe Houston, and we'll see when we get there, I, I'm not picking them to win another game the rest of the year outside of this one. And maybe Houston, but again, that'll depend on where we are in a couple of weeks. If they go and look like they did for three quarters in Orlando and lose to Cincinnati the way they probably should have lost to UCF, then I'm, I'm not picking them, period, the rest of the way. But, yeah, this is one of those I could see them getting a win. Um, but even still, like I said, I wouldn't put money on it. Yeah, if they lose this game, I'm probably not picking them in another game this yeah, year. That's I mean, fair. maybe Houston. Some are again, probably think maybe. we're crazy for even picking them in this one, honestly. Oh, I yeah. think most would. I think yeah. most people are just so far out, and I understand that. Yeah, the flip side is if Baylor wins the next two, then I'll pick them to beat Houston. And if, I mean, jeez. I'm not even going to talk about. We're not going to talk about postseason, no. no. But but right now, I just this game feels very winnable. Yes, very winnable for Baylor because since he's not good, it really doesn't have a whole lot to do with Baylor, to be honest. And they're saying the same thing about the other side of the coin um, and looking at this Baylor team and going like, yeah, this definitely should be our first Big 12 win at home, and they are struggling to run the ball and blah, blah, blah. They're giving up big plays on defense. So uh, they're they're probably feeling much the same way of like, this is as winnable as it's going to get the rest of the way for for Cincinnati in some cases. So, all right, um, there you go. There's the Big 12 games this week. That TCU-Kansas State game ought to be mighty interesting. You also got Oklahoma and Texas getting back into action after uh, their open week, and that'll bring uh, the two ranked teams, uh, the two top ten teams at that, back into the mix, the two favorites to uh, play in Arlington here in a few. But, man, six weeks to go, so there's a lot that can change between now and then. But Baylor-Cincinnati, 11 a.m. on ESPN Plus from Nipper Stadium in Cincinnati, Ohio. Grayson, anything before we head out this week? No, nothing nothing else. Just be sure to check out Sikkim 365 Premium side. All your news and content on Baylor sports, Baylor football, Baylor basketball, and then, of course, 365 Sports uh, Radio uh, with Craig and David and Paul. Lots of fun there. Lots of football to talk about for sure. Yeah, catch us 3 to 6 uh, on YouTube, 365 Sports YouTube channel. Please hit like and subscribe. Also on this YouTube channel, Baylor Athletics on Sikkim 365 will be Uh, Nice of you to do the same. We would appreciate that. But you can also catch us each Tuesday here live on Baylor Athletics on Sikkim 365 uh, YouTube uh, Tuesdays at 11.15. And uh, thanks to Garrett Ross as well behind the scenes. 365 Sports 3 to 6 Monday through Friday is where you can catch me next. And uh, Grayson, appreciate you as always, man, for Grayson Grunhafer and for Garrett Ross. I'm Craig Smoke, and this has been the Bearcast on Sikkim 365.